You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. I'm Brigitte. Somehow I saw The Sound of Music twice over break. I can't explain how this happened to me. <laughs> and I'm Aida Osman. Hello. I'm tra- I was trying to think of a Spanish name that I could make up in the moment, but I was still laughing at Lewis's joke. So, Well, I'm actually glad you brought that up, Aida, because I was so distressed over our little hiatus that we took, which was one week. Right. Far too much for some people in my mentions but you know we were we were off when this horrible news happened where hilaria baldwin Ugh. basically entered the news with some joking back and forth yeah. with amy schumer si, si, si. and then that led to a revelation that she had been faking a spanish accent for years um and had been basically pretending to be from spain when she is most certainly from Massachusetts, and <laughs> this was shocking to me as Sure, a person uh, who me? would never impersonate a European white woman. Oh, God, no. Ever. Yeah. Um, you, you would not I have th- fun doing that. What, what's the no, upside? I, I think it's offensive. <laughs> right. I think it is Europe face. <laughs> the worst face of all. And I simply do not think that the people of Europe deserve such... Sananda. <laughs> Pathetic. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to say that this is the perfect celebrity scandal. And the reason it is, is because there were seven exciting parts. It wasn't just that she deceived Alec Baldwin for a hundred years, and he definitely bragged at some point that she was an exotic Spanish lover. It's also that she literally once pretended not to understand the word cucumber. She also it's that she would give an interview and the accent would be very heavy at the beginning and then go away. Mm-hmm. It's that this person existed in front of us. And have you ever been on the internet? We have nothing to do. What were we doing not calling this out 10 years ago? But also, another reason it's the perfect scandal is no one's, like, a fan of Hilaria. Like, no one can... <laughs> I love that you're still calling her that. <laughs> That's the best part. Continue. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Carry on. Hillary. <laughs> um, yeah. No one's coming away from this being like, oh, I'm really let down. I was such a fan of Hilaria Baldwin. Like, that doesn't exist either. So it's just super funny. I love that you think this is deception on Alec Baldwin's part. I really believe that he is in on it and just wanted, like, the Eva Longoria, Sofia Vergara wife type. And is like... Like, okay, yeah, I'll buy in. I'll go on Howard Stern show and you know mock your accent, or I'll go on late night and mock your accent because it, it just adds more variety to him. I think this is a case of study abroad gone wrong. <laughs> or like I when I went to Sweden, when I went to study abroad in Sweden, I really tried to tell people for like the next month that I was Swedish born, but apparently I'm not a six foot tall lean blonde woman. So <laughs> like it wasn't very obvious. I wouldn't guess your name um, was Ulrika. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. So I, I just, 
I, I can't. And the other funny thing about this, too, is that she's rep by CAA. And um, on her bio at CAA, it said she was born in Spain. So I don't know how many people had to get this wrong, Hillary. But I'm sure you were espousing some, some not true things about yourself. Oh, the casual journalistic untruths that she got away <laughs> yeah. with for years is also... <laughs> Major and shocking. When you talk about the fact that no one is a fan of her, what's been most exciting about this revelation has been the like C and D level celebrities who've come out in support of her. It's like <laughs> Dorit Kemsley from Real Housewives of Beverly Hills breaks her silence and defends Hilaria. So it's really just like a sign of who she was hanging out with in quote unquote New York society, despite being Alec Baldwin's mm-hmm. wife. She wasn't like kicking it with real celebs. Because no one, no, no one, no one of note has come out to defend this woman. Even Billy Baldwin was just sort of like, you know, it's a crazy time going on. <laughs> There's nothing to do but fake it, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. Other than like knowing her face, I had no clue who this woman was until this happened. So here we are. Now I have to know who she is. I try not and to pay I attention that- to the Baldwins. Who cares? Even though I like Billy, he was great in Gossip Girl. (laughs) But also, when Alec released that video where he told us, consider the source, a couple of responses to that. What the fuck are you talking about? The source is your wife. (laughs) (laughs) And two, what is with Alec Baldwin taking every opportunity to be terrifying? Like, you're a very famous star. You're constantly hired. And yet you... Also need to be menacing at times. It's very shocking. Mm-hmm. I also just want to point out. He's a heterosexual Kevin Spacey. Sure. Yeah, there we. Oh, my God. Beautifully stated. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> that was. I do think. You heard it here first. The fact that their kids' names are all deeply Spanish is LOL. Yeah. Well, I dove even deeper than I probably should have. Like, I don't care about the story, but it was so riveting. Like you said, Lewis. like there was just so many twists and turns. It had. There was truly nothing else going on that week. It really, yeah, it was dry as hell. So her mom works at Harvard teaching medicine. Her dad is an attorney from Georgetown. Now they live in Spain. So clearly the family is like just obsessed with the culture, but are 100% just nor'easterners. That's it through and through. My favorite part of the story is that this woman posed on like Ola magazine's cover. (laughs) She, like, hello, what? What? She really took this to the, how you say, like deepest levels, like she went deep, pero like it's crazy for real. <laughs> Can I tell you that 2003 Christina Aguilera is pissed? <laughs> okay, oh no, she was Christina. she was darkening herself for the "Can't Hold Us Down" video in that whatever barrio David LaChapelle decided that they were going to set this in this fake barrio that doesn't look like anywhere in New York. She even did her, like, Mi Reflejo album was really leaning into the fact that she was half Ecuadorian. Um, And meanwhile, Hilaria's out here living that life. See, my favorite almost Latina for years and years was Madonna. (laughs) And then Hilaria just took that. I thought Madonna was going to have that thrown for the rest of her life, but... La Isla Hilaria wins. <laughs> the, the next season of Emily in Paris is Hillary in Spain. So just prepare yourselves now, ladies. <laughs> prepare yourselves now. Hillary in Barcelona. <laughs> in Barcelona. Sagrada <laughs> Familia. And at the end of the day, this is all funny because she was impersonating 
a white person. Correct. Yes. Yeah. In, in a way, it's not even, <laughs> it's not offensive in the traditional way. Yeah. I can't be that mad. It's just stupid. It's just fucking stupid. <laughs> all right. That's our catch up uh, yeah, for, wow. for break. That's all the news. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all the news. But no, we do have an actual episode to get into. There are some other things during break that we consumed, whether they be Bridgerton or Wonder Woman 1984, or Kumail Nanjiani's Instagrams. Uh, we're going to get into all of, of that. We're going to get into gay men feuding on the internet over this new Instagram account called Gays Over COVID. Y'all better explain this to me. Because we confused over here on the, on the lesbian and straight sides. Oh, it is, oh, if, if you thought Hilario was thrillingly stupid, wait till you get into this. <laughs> We will also be joined by the wonderful Megan Good today. So, we'll be right back. Lady Whistledown here. <laughs> Speaking of the sound of music. <laughs> Oh, Miss Julie Andrews, yes. the narrator for Bridgerton, is in that little cult film, Sound of Music. <laughs> right, yes. Yeah. Once the uh, mm-hmm. highest grossing film of all time, yes. Now a, now a niche movie we respect around the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love dancing around a gazebo singing 16 going on 17 for oh. the record. <laughs> Speaking of which, by the way, so you're talking about Liesl, the oldest daughter in that movie. By the way, yeah. that movie confirms that I believe all children should be militarized, whether into singing or just into like line formations at any given moment. Yeah, and definitely should be wearing uniform clothing. Yeah, yeah, you don't get to be individualistic anymore. Please. It's not cute. Right. There's no, there's no time. Don't let Louis visit Rwanda. <laughs> See? Um... <laughs> Not the child soldiers. <laughs> Those are some cute child soldiers, Lewis said. Moving on. <laughs> I learned that Liesl was almost cast as, uh, there was a few crazy names, but Mia Farrow, oh. uh, Leslie Ann Warren, and Terry Garr. Can you imagine like a kind of daffy, broadly comedic Liesl? It's such a kind of plain role that's meant to be serenaded. I just was shocked by that. But anyway, let's talk about Bridgerton, mm. which, by the way, I haven't seen. <laughs> I haven't seen Bridgerton either. I don't really think of Terry Gar. I hope she's well, though. I got her memoir over break. I thought that was the beginning of a sentence, not just, <laughs> I don't think of Terry Gar. Like, as something? You just mean in general. Uh, <laughs> okay. What do you think of Terry Gar? I don't think of her. <laughs> do you think of her? <laughs> Terry Gar is one of the greatest interviews of all time at AV Club. She talks about how Dustin Hoffman was all proud of himself for the quote-unquote feminism of Tootsie. And she goes, I think his quote is, I didn't know that to be a woman you had to be pretty, and I wasn't pretty. He goes, is that all you got from this? (laughs) (laughs) She is an asshole to him. It is awesome. (laughs) Was it? Dustin Hoffman um, or someone else dragged by like Tony Collette too. Oh, or maybe she was just in general dragging people who were sort of like the method actors or from that camp when asked about um, doing Hereditary, uh, and he was like, "How do you get into like these intense scenes?" You know, and she's like, "It's acting." <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> As in she's not a person who's like then intense offset. Oh, yeah. The Isabel yeah, Huppert approach. She's like, uh, I just yeah. fucking do it and I don't care. She's actually, I tone myself down so I can do the role. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think about Dustin Hoffman's acting style that much lately anymore. I think that we've got Michael Keaton and he's the better Dustin Hoffman. There's my take. I'm only recently acquainted with the fact that straight men really are fucking obsessed with Michael Keaton. He comes up a lot with my straight coworkers. Because he was Batman. I guess. But also, mm. like, there's just, like, a relatable, like, kind of funny grunginess about him. Yeah. Well, he's fun, you know? He, like, also has this sort of, like, Bruce Springsteen, I'm in it for the white working class vibe. Michael Keaton always looks like he's racing in the streets. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I know that's my part- favorite Bruce song. <laughs> Particularly in Multiplicity, which I watched this weekend um, because I thought it would be cute. Because I saw, and well, I was watching that awful Dashing in December with Andy McDowell Mm. in it, that gay Lifetime Hallmark wherever movie. Uh, And then I was thinking about Multiplicity, and I was like, I love that movie so much. Held Ramis. It has to still be iconic. It is not iconic. (laughs) It's awful. Anyway. Um, but Eugene Levy looks very hot in it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Usually the eyebrow community um, ages well. He has a mustache, too. It's very cute. Uh, and he's wearing, like, silk shirts that are buttoned all the way down to, like, his navel. <sighs> Felt inappropriate. Yeah. Anyway, weren't we talking about... <laughs> what? We're talking about Bridgerton. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say that if you were looking for the aesthetic of being a horny librarian, then Bridgerton is for you. I truly enjoyed it. Neither of you have seen it, um, so there won't be much to get into. But uh, I do want to point out that a lot of people were calling it, oh, it's basically Gossip Girl. But the books predate the Gossip Girl books. So So Gossip Girl is like this. Yeah. (laughs) Who was zooming who? It does seem like everybody who watched this watched all the episodes right in a row. It's that Emily in Paris syndrome where it's not really about liking it. It's about this new version of quote-unquote entertainment where you can't look away because TV is now like Instagram. It's definitely Mm -hmm. better than Emily in Paris, but it is just like a Regency drama with a lot of hoardiness in it, some hot men. Uh, and some really great women. Uh, oh, um, I am like standing. Nicola Collin. Uh, she was also in Dairy Girls. Mm. Um, she is fantastic mm. in this show. Two things I want to point out before we move on. You brought up Emily in Paris and about how people just watch TV like it's Instagram now, which is what Netflix has perfected. Relies on. <laughs> Do you know who that demographic is? It's Tommy Vitor. Oh, right. <laughs> I can't turn on my fucking Twitter without him being like, guess what gayish thing I love now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sad that I'm not on Twitter anymore and I can't get um, Tommy's uh, up to date reviews on gun oil. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I appreciate a snarky a snarky Tommy tweet at a verified account that has no interest in what he's saying. This is my favorite tweets. <laughs> second thing, second thing about Bridgerton um, that I just want to point out is that I'm also glad to be missing the Bridgerton discourse because what what happens whenever a new Shonda Rhimes show comes out is that there's a certain sect of the internet that will always be like, 
yes, Shonda, you did that. Yes, girl, like, look at, like, the diversity, the et cetera, whatever. And then I sort of just want to point out that Shonda has not been in her office <laughs> typing since Scandal. <laughs> that's, that's true. She did not write any part of How to Get Away with Murder, and she did not write any part of Bridgerton, and she most certainly is not still writing Grey's Anatomy. I constantly am thinking about people like her and Ryan Murphy, who... I mean, the way their lives work, Ryan Murphy must wander into a TV show halfway through a film season and be like, actually, I want to turn it into this. You know, just like whenever they kind of want to show up is when they, you know, add to a a script. Which is not to say they don't have say, but it's like we're all writers and we've worked with producers. The work that like the executive producer who's not also like showrunner puts in is they're not in that day to day nitty-gritty you know like she's also not writing every scene that you like i'm sorry (laughs) yeah there's like a certain list of people that regardless of their involvement in it people are going to credit it totally to them like if jordan peele does any more movies even if it's just him throwing monkey paw throwing a hundred thousand dollars at a new creator it's gonna be like wow jordan peele you really outdone yourself (laughs) right really truly outdone yourself yeah so look at the credits on shows okay (laughs) yeah because then you will also see that Bridgerton was created by a white man. Anyway. Um. I also want to add, by the way, that one of the most outdated things is the way we award Emmys to writing, where per mm. episode, it'll be given to two writers on the staff. It's like most every episode of a TV show is written by the entire staff. So I don't know where yeah. that's coming from. It's so, so outdated. Unless you work for an insane person like Matthew Weidar. <laughs> does, he, does he do all the story like does he break all the story by himself or how does he do it That's no different. he would have a staff uh, it's sort of well Aaron Sorkin's more of a person who would like sort of like have a staff but like try and do like a lot of all the writing himself Matthew Weiner was a person who would do a lot of rewriting but also just like love taking credit for things <laughs> um, you know like in any time anytime another writer was listed on an episode it would always be like and Matthew Weiner you know like so he'd get that Emmy too it reminds me of an interview that Vince Gilligan gave once where it just talks about how, like, that sort of outdated Emmys thing, right? You know, like, everyone contributes to the show, so it would feel weird for him to put his name on a television episode just because he did rewriting on it. Because, of course, you're supposed to do the rewriting. You're the showrunner. That's what the money's for. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also during break, I watched... Wonder Woman 1984. I have to say I did the same. And as you know, I was somebody who was tricked into watching Thor Ragnarok because they put Kate Blanchett in it using, <laughs> using, using their pandering powers. And I was fucking wrong to see that shit. Thor Ragnarok is good. Uh, if you fucking like those movies. What, like, I went and saw it and I was like, I feel like a child. I feel like I'm watching Kate Blanchett in a Halloween costume give me the smiles that I got in a better way from Carol. Okay, Martin. Okay, Martin Scorsese. <laughs> Go ahead and hate on this. I was like, which Martin? I, I at least appreciate, yeah, right. I Thelma Shoemaker loves Thor Ragnarok I for the record. I fucking doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot confirm or deny that, Queen. Please don't sue me. <laughs> well, anyway, I went and watched this movie because Kristen Wiig was in it, and then a couple of things happened. One, the movie to me felt sort of disinterested in her being in it. It ended up being way more about Pedro Pascal's character, and that performance is not one of his best, nor is that character one of his best. And I was just shocked that it didn't have any of the 
really humor of the first one because you got a lot of mileage in the first one from her being an alien experiencing things for the first time like ice cream and stuff and this time you only got Chris Pine trying on some 80s clothes and I just want to say man did they go fucking basic on the 80s references we're walking past break dancers can we like Guys, look at Wikipedia. There are way more things that occurred in the 80s that are more interesting. It gave me the essence of someone my age writing and like do like they were the DP and they were the screen. Like it's like I Googled a bunch of 1980s references and was like, okay, here, here we go. Let me sprinkle that in. Yeah. The most basic and accessible things. I will say that as someone who actually loves superhero films, um, and was very excited to see this because I was also such a fan of the first movie, um, except for when it just resorted to Diana punching Ares at the end of the movie. Mm. Uh, it was like, oh, it was sort of like different from a superhero movie, and it felt fresh, and then it was just like punching on an airstrip for the last 30 minutes. But this film, I don't know why it was called Wonder Woman 1984. She is barely <laughs> in it. I was like, was Gal Gadot pregnant? Did she was, they filming, have to, a, she was did, filming another Imagine video. <laughs> did they have so to sorry. shoot around this woman? It, she is in it so little. The plot is nonsensical. When you want to talk about childish, the plot of like Pedro Pascal playing Max Lord, who finds this ancient stone where you can like grant people's wishes. He basically becomes a genie. It's <laughs> doing a lot. The opening of the film, too, ha- makes no fucking sense because it, it, it has no bearing to the rest of the film. No. Like, they open um, mm-hmm. in Demascara um, with Robin Wright, you know, just so we can see her. <laughs> and we see the rest of the um, Amazons, but then there's some weird message about how, like, don't cheat in life. Uh, and then we cut to this movie, and then... Nothing from the opening seems to matter for the rest of the movie. It's just like a lot of random set pieces, one particularly jarring. I don't know if we needed to see Miss Israeli Army Gal Gadot beating up Middle Easterners in the middle of (laughs) Wonder Woman 1984. Was that necessary? I don't even know if I processed that. The the Palestinian (laughs) conflict, just like page they threw in there. Where did they do that at? Mm P.S. I think this may be the worst title character performance in a movie that I've seen in five years. I mean, it's just, if Wonder Woman was a star-making performance, this is a star-dimming performance. Mm. Yeah, this was truly, truly an unfortunate film. And I can only imagine, (laughs) imagine, that um, (laughs) people would be much more livid if this had come out in May. No pandemic. Right. We went to the theaters and paid money to see this. Now we're like, we'll take anything, anything you have. <laughs> Lewis, do you say five years with any movie and performance in mind? Like, are you coming for Paul Rudd and Ant-Man? Like, what's, what, wow. what was that? Great question. No, I, I wasn't <laughs> actually thinking all that historically. It's just, to me, it's actually surprising that, like, in the 90s, you had a class of celebrities. We talked about this when we discussed Demi Moore's memoir, where, like, there was a class of celebrity where they were super glamorous, but maybe they weren't as good of actors you know like like a Sharon Stone etc actors versus star yeah kind of kind of Mm. but like nowadays I feel like most movie stars are really good at what they do like there's no reason Mm -hmm. like there's there's no like magazine celebrity anymore we have to keep afloat you know just the people who are really good at acting get to be in the movies this is kind of related but as an offshoot that we didn't really get to talk about I watched Ma Rainey's Black Bottom over the break as well Mm -hmm. and you know I feel like at one point 
Ira, you literally taught me who August Wilson was about a year ago, and now I've like read all of his plays over break, and I just okay. What's your fave? I know, girl. I'm caught up, Jenny, bitch. Really? <laughs> I'm in Jenny this. Jenny is it. I'm in this. And I saw Andre Holland in it on Broadway, and it was fantastic. I bring that up to really talk about the star versus actress, you know, idea that we were just entertaining right now, and really just watching Viola Davis. Talk about August Wilson in this new mm. documentary that I watched about an August Wilson monologue competition that's also on Netflix that came at coincided with the release of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm so in love. I just wanted to throw that in there, and everybody should watch that and also read Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. It's such an amazing play. So what's interesting about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is you think you're gonna get a lot of Viola Davis, and it's shockingly not a lot. Mm-hmm. So and the performance is really good, and also by the way unusual for her it's it like mm-hmm. like the woman is self-possessed in a way that we're familiar with from viola davis but there's a wooziness to her that i really don't associate with any previous viola character and it's really fun to watch anyway she's like a shoe in to win i was put off by the fact that like obviously she's supposed to be hot and sweating in the booth and it seemed like someone was just spritzing her with water between takes because she was so <laughs> drenched true. in relation yeah. to everyone else. I was like, baby, what's happening here? Was she fucking a fish? Is <laughs> that Coca-Cola. Is she fucking a fish? I, shape of water too. <laughs> I, I need to rewatch Jamal Rainey, but I am still of the opinion that Aukus Wilson is one of the greatest American playwrights mm-hmm. um, and no one has truly adapted one of his plays for film yet. Yeah. Uh, mostly because they still feel like you're just standing there watching the monologues are great but it works for theater more than it seems to work for like cinema and they talk so much about like how much Augens is respected and like how much they love his work like I've seen the interviews with Viola and Denzel Mm -hmm. and George C. Wolf etc but um I don't know maybe they're just too close to the material and don't feel comfortable like um adapting it properly and deviating in a way to like really highlight and drive home a lot of the themes because you know what if you've read it like you know my rating is not in it that much but also like august wilson is amazing but he's also a male playwright yeah and was writing in you know like the late 1900s um so I say late 1900s. Well, we'll, we'll get to like, have you this. know, like like it wasn't yeah. it wasn't that far away. Uh, but you know what I mean. Well, we'll get to have this conversation nine more times because Denzel yeah. Washington has commit to right. adapting all nine, all ten of the plays from the Century Cycle. So strap in, baby. I did love Fences, but and I also think that what I loved about it was right off the bat, it's like accept that this is just a play. Like accept mm-hmm. that you're not getting mm-hmm. any extra theatricality or uh, cinematic qualities added to. What is written on the page? You are getting two locations and long <laughs> conversations, bitch. <Yes. laughs> That's all you're getting. But I think even some of the messier, like Tennessee Williams productions, give you a little bit of like the the dazzle and the glamour and the zazz, if you will. You gotta have the zazz. <laughs> I would say that's an obscure reference, but it sounds like everybody I've ever met has seen the prom at this point. So, <laughs> uh, but. Anyway, you know, I just think that, you know, um, I would have beefed up Mulroney's role a bit more in 2020. Because it's the most interesting part of the story. I would have started with her. Like, really start with her and the experience with uh, the people that she's with in the car accident and not just let that be, like, an act two happening. I also would have restarted all the production design. Woof. Really? Was it the inside? I just thought it looked cheap. Like, I was looking at a Puzz 3D. <laughs> I like the room where they recorded the songs, but, like, the, the downstairs rehearsal room, like, looked 
awful. Like, I think my high school did a better job of, like, recreating that. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> anyway, there's your recap on the things that we saw over break. Did we miss anything? I'm sure we did, because I would not stop watching shit. I saw 9 to 5. I wanted you to know that, Lewis. I said that I would do it prior. like not, Two weeks ago, I said I would do it. I watched 9 to 5. Oh. This new appreciation I have for Dolly Parton is just unspeakable. Oh, unspeakable. my gosh. Well, and then, of course, you, you got go. Jane Fonda at the copier, too, with all those papers flying Oh, out. my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> just out of a spazzed out Jane Fonda is my favorite. Mm. Oh, and you can't date Harry Styles anymore. Sorry, guys. That's it. Oh, that's right. Olivia Wilde snuck right in there. Secured him. What if we just released our interview with Olivia Wilde from last year's episode and pretended it was new? What? Why? <laughs> just, 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 just scam the, the Harry Styles stands into thinking that she's going to talk about Oh, <laughs> They seem easily manipulated. I'd do it. <laughs> But I won't, you know, because we should really treat people with kindness. There we go. Sneak that little Phoebe Waller-Bridge shit in because that was the best video. I, I haven't experienced unadulterated joy in a year. And I was just staring at my screen smiling when I was watching that music video. The best video, even though I do not like that song at all. I think it's the worst on the album. It was bad. Yeah, it was very it was bad. bad. It's too sing-songy. The dancing wasn't that good. If you're going to give me sing-songy and like positive vibes, I need hair, not Godspell. There we go. Mm. There we go. Let the sunshine in. <laughs> when we're back, we're going to ask Megan what's good. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see footprints in the sand... That was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because, by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's, like, pretty mild outside, and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams' soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. <laughs> You know our wonderful guest today. She is a Hollywood staple who has graced your screens in Eve's Bayou, Think Like a Man, or Shazam. But she's not only an actress. Her directorial debut, If Not Now, When, comes out this week, 
Friday, to be exact. Please welcome Megan Good to keep it. Thank you. <laughs> hey, yo. I'm always Hi. confused when actors become directors. Does it look like fun or something? Why do so many do it? <laughs> I think, you know, I mean, at least for me, I think, you know, growing up in the business, I found myself, you know, doing scenes or certain things. I'd be like, gosh, I feel like it'd be great if we did this. Like, it could be something as simple as like when I was doing Stomp the Yard and there was like a fight scene with like Columbus and I, I forget who else the fight was with, but um, we were trying to like get the fight right and make it look real. And I was like, what if we do this? And I think as an actor, you find yourself doing that so much um, that you start to realize that it may be something that you're interested in doing when you actually have a vision, you have an idea of, of what you think it should be. And um, it seemed like a natural progression, not one that I thought would happen at the time that it happened. Um, but I love it so much. I love coming to set with no hair, no makeup, it not being about me, serving the project, serving the actors and being specific and intentional about what I want to put into the world. Mm-hmm. It's actually like perfect. I think of like a Casey Lemons being in Silence of the Lambs and then going on to direct Eve's Bayou. And then, you know, you, how old were you in that film? You were so 14. young. It was, I was 14. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that really painted my world. Cause I, I, growing up, I realized later that there were not a ton of black female directors, Yeah, but I experienced one when I was 14. So I thought this is a normal thing. And, and it, really wasn't um, something that happened often, you know? Now we're seeing it flex, but... It, the Eve's Bayou was a movie that we talk about on this podcast. I don't know how, but weekly. Like, just <laughs> Truly. We've had Casey on the show, too. What? Uh, and we so we it. have gone on to her about how much we love that movie as well. Like I th- I think about, you know, a young Megan Good and there's the scene with you and Journey Smollett and you're talking about some of the most adult themes. You're literally talking about adultery and you're really really young and I mean, how how is that like for you as a 14-year-old girl? Like, I, how much do you understand and are you aware of the story when you're talking about that or are you just saying the lines? Uh, you understand because you have to research and study and get clarity on what it is you're trying to show the audience, what your character is trying to live out, what your character's experience. Um, but you understand it in the mind of a 14 year old, you know, obviously I understand it a lot different now, but I remember being incredibly nervous about the kissing scene and, uh, you know, being very stressed out when I found out that we had to do like three different versions. And, um, and then I remember like Sam being like, you know, people kept going, Megan, you okay? You okay? You okay? And finally he was like, why does anyone ask me if I'm okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you realize that, it, that it's awkward for all of us, but at the end of the day, we're trying to to bring a human experience and a real experience from an authentic place. And, you know, that's really what it was about and what it's kind of always about on every project. Something that was interesting to me watching, uh, if not now, when, was that I loved how different one-on-one conversations would occur between characters I didn't expect. And the nature of the project was you had to sort of direct chemistry between different sets of people. Did you cast for chemistry too? Like, did they have to seem like, you know, best friends? And how long, how far along in the process did it take until, you know, that was achieved or did it occur right away? Um, It was interesting. Tamara and I, we co-directed together. She wrote the project. We produced it. We co-starred in it. And, um, you know, we had been friends since I was 16 and she was 19, mm. you know? And so I didn't even know that she wrote until probably, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And um, so we had that connectivity and that chemistry, but really when Makia came in, 
you know, we kind of knew it was her out the gate and it was kind of incredible that she was actually really pregnant, you know, when we auditioned her. And then um, when Megan Holder came into the picture, I mean, everything, it, it kind of blew our mind because it's not always like that with women, you know, and, and you really hope that everyone's going to get along and the energy is going to feel right and um, that it's going to show itself on camera as well. And um, I'm really grateful that it did. And they really are lovely. And I just am so thankful that they came on board and everybody that came on board. There were a lot of people that we only asked once, like Valerie Pettifer, but we're just like, hey, can you? She was like, yep. You know, we were like, really? Oh my God. Wow. And, um, so yeah, it, it was kind of instant. Um, but it was very genuine and real. Mm-hmm. I should add that this movie is about a group of female friends who each of them has lots of travails going on in their lives and they end up communicating with each other about them and sometimes withholding stuff about their lives. And you really get a lot of the sense of deep friendships from these people and how I- I'm always surprised that we don't get more of that in movies because friendship to me is fascinating. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that to the screen. Thank you. Thank you. That's super happy to do it because I think that's, kind of the stuff that life is made of, you know, is, is purpose, you know, God, family, friends, mm-hmm. you know. Um, going back to um, something after Eve's Bayou, um, I, I, one, discovered that movie later, um, and then it became one of my favorites. Um, but where I first discovered you was where a lot of young people my age probably did was on Cousin Skeeter. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was there. And, and I am not going to let you leave without asking you about acting alongside a puppet. Um, yes. And how was that? And also just sort of like how being in the Nickelodeon machine was then, you know? Because we yeah. see a lot of... Um, actors and stars have gone through like Nickelodeon or Disney and you know just sort of like what was that experience like for you and what have you learned from it because I also can't imagine like even though it was a black show at that time period I can't imagine it was like used by you with like a black woman behind the camera right. um, and that much diversity behind the scenes or maybe there was um there was there was some diversity behind the scenes for sure um it was interesting because I had never really done a TV show before. So I had no idea of the massive commitment that comes with TV. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, what it ended up being for me was really my teenagehood. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I spent like those really informative years between like 15 to 19 to some degree on cousin Skeeter. And um, you know, me and Robert were close. We had seasons where we didn't get along seasons where we just absolutely (laughs) loved each other. We were kind of like siblings to a certain degree. Um, but I think for me, it just created a place where I could grow. I could become more responsible, uh, become a better actress. Uh, I met so many people from, I mean, Shaquille O'Neal directed an episode. I mean, Mm. I, I mean, just so many people came through that show, um, Mm -hmm. that went on to do so many things and then people that already were, you know, um, super established. But I think the great thing for me is that the show was the right size to uh, allow me to grow and to begin to build a base of people that supported me. But Mm -hmm. it wasn't massive in the sense of like, you know, I feel like I escaped a lot of pitfalls and a lot of um, pigeonholing that a lot of Disney kids or Nickelodeon kids experience because Mm -hmm. it's just the right size. And and I think my career has kind of always been like that, where, you know, as a child, I was never as big as like a a Raven Simone or Macaulay Culkin, but I was Mm -hmm. steady. And it was always a steady, very, very slow climb. And it's 
it's been like that throughout my 20s and 30s as well. And I'm thankful for that because I think it's um, helped me stay grounded. It's helped me to have perspective. It's helped me to, to, you know, I remember in my 20s, you know, when I first like go out to clubs and, you know, I would stand outside for like an hour to get in, even being a girl. And then all of a sudden I would have biker boys out or deliver from Eva and I'd walk straight in with like five guys. And then like <laughs> next year... I wouldn't have a project out and I'd still be waiting for 30 minutes. And, and that was like a constant thing in my life where it just gave me perspective. I'm like, got it. So don't believe your own hype. This is not real. People can be finicky. This cannot be my identity. You know, this is only what I do. It's not who I am. It's a part of me, but it is not how I identify. Um, and so yeah, it's been a, it's been an interesting journey. That's so um, interesting to hear, and something that I was thinking about over break because I don't know if you saw the Pixar film Soul yet, uh, but that you know is really just about how um, even as an artist, you know, like a lot of us will ascribe to the idea that this is who I am, this is all I do twenty four seven, and you really have to you know make yourself a person as well. Um, and and it, it's nice to hear someone talk so frankly about that because I don't think we've ever really talked about that idea of like you coming out as a steady working actress as well you know it's not like you had six years where like you're in a Marvel movie you're Gal Gadot or like Chris Pratt or something you know and it's like everyone sees you everywhere and people are chasing you down the block you know Um, and so it's so interesting to hear about working in Hollywood as a career and understanding that some years people will be like, come on through to this. And other years people will be like, what were you in? Right, right. Yeah. When you truly start to believe your own hype, you're really in for a rude awakening because this thing, it goes up and down. You know, even if you're someone like Tom Cruise where you're up for a majority of your life, at the end of the day, this thing goes up and down and it's not real, you know? It's Mm -hmm. real if you can influence, if you can impact, if you can encourage, if you can inspire, that part of it's real. But the other stuff... I think you just have to be really careful. I really try hard to really check myself. I could be in the airport, like running late, you know, and nine times out of 10, I'll find somebody and I'll get line and get right in there. But that one time, you know, it's like, and it's not working out. I have to check myself and be like, girl, relax. You know, like who you are. Everybody else is waiting in line, get some perspective and like, you know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. and I think that's, it's it's important for your mental health. Mm-hmm. Well, Megan, I would let you cut me in line at TSA. <laughs> Just so you know, I would be screaming, Megan! <laughs> I really would. I wanted to ask you this question, because I think, you know, the film that you just directed, it's so important to see, like, Black women having conversations and being vulnerable. Like, I still think that we're fighting to get those stories and narratives into Hollywood now. But, um, you know, this is another interesting thing about being a Black woman on set. I wanted to ask you about, like, so you just filmed the movie the Intruder, where you were opposite Michael Ely, and it was a film with you and Dennis Quaid. Like, it's honestly too much good bone structure for one movie. It was not fair. <laughs> like, it was not fair. But, but there's so many scenes. I mean, you guys are a couple in that movie, and there's so many scenes and moments of intimacy. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, like, what is that like on set? You said that during Eve's Bayou, there were coordinators making sure you were good during the kissing scenes. Are there coordinators making sure you're good during intimacy scenes? And has that changed over the years to your like to what you've noticed? Uh, it's changed dramatically in the last two years. Um, since the Me Team movement and Harvey Weinstein, everything, it's changed dramatically where, 
you know, back then at Eve's Bayou, there was someone mainly because I was 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, over mm-hmm. the years, as you become of age, you know, you and the director or, you know, you put contractually, you know, what you will and won't do and you work it out with the actor and, and it's fine. But in these last two years, there definitely has been like an intimacy coordinator who after the studio contract, after the director, after you discuss, you know, with your partner in the scene, there's an additional layer of, is there anything you want to say? Is there anything you're uncomfortable with? Is there something you don't feel comfortable saying straight out to them that you want me to relay in a way that protects you or whatever it may be? And I appreciate that. Um, but it also is weird to me because in that particular area, I've learned to just be vocal because I've I've been in a situation where you know it's only happened to me once, but I was 19 and I was in a photo shoot and I was reenacting a scene and and they wanted me to like uh, reenacting a photo shoot that Holly Berry had done. And it was like these underwear that had like a, a kind of a gold chain on the side. And that's what she had in the picture. But in, in this particular shoot, in the reenactment, they didn't actually have the underwear. They had like the chain like taped to the side of me. And I was mm. so... Uh, you said, where's the rest? So, yeah. <laughs> where's the rest? <laughs> that part. And I'm tilted to the side. You know, obviously you can only see the side of me, but I'm like really stressing and like freaking out. And and as a 19 year old, I'm like, God, I don't want to be difficult. And I don't want people to not want to work with me. And I don't want to like, you know, and all these things. And, you know, and my sister, Lamaya, Lamaya Good-Bellinger, first of all, we're yin and yang. We're the same person, but she's the crazy version in the most amazing <laughs> way. But she was like, hell no, 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 no. Come on. uh-uh, Don't you ever do that again. If you are uncomfortable, you speak up. It doesn't matter if they don't want to work with you again, well, then forget them. And, you know, and, and it really it changed my whole way of approaching it. And it was like, well, look, if a bunch of people don't want to work with me, then those just aren't my people. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if I'm uncomfortable and something's not right, then it's not the right situation for me. It's never that serious, ever that serious. Oh. That like so perfectly goes right back to what I started the question with, like another instance of a black woman, like in the conversations that you in your instance, a sister just teaching us how to like really move. And that was 20 years ago. That would have been like 2002 or something like that. I, you were if I was young. 19. Yeah, something like that. And Lamar, That's so young. She was only 21, you know? Yeah. I'm looking through your credits and like you've been so consistently... Um, active since the beginning of your career do you have any like small projects that were surprisingly beneficial to you that you took something from that if we were looking at them we wouldn't probably think oh that's one you reflect on often yeah there's a lot of them actually the first thing I ever produced I had no idea what I was doing I was like uh I've got some gum and like a nickel and some lint in my pocket like let's try to and really it was because I I had came out of being that child actor and making that transition, which is very difficult to make. Um, and, and in that transition, I became like the sexy girl and the hot girl. And then I really, for a time, got pigeonholed there where everyone's like, you just be that, just be attractive. You don't, we don't need you to think too much. We, we know you probably can't go deep, so just be pretty, you know? And um, I was really stuck there for a while. So this movie that I produced, which was called Miles From Home, Ty Hodges directed it. He was um, on Even Stevens with Shia LaBeouf. He was a Disney kid himself. And he was stuck in that pigeonhole as well for a different reason. And so we did this little film. We were really inspired by Garden State. Um, and mm-hmm. that it kind of became like a little cult classic, especially overseas. And crazy thing mm-hmm. is, Devon saw it 
um, when I was like, I don't know, 24. And that was the movie that had him bring me in for a general meeting to say, hey, I didn't even know you could do this kind of stuff. This is great. Love your work, you know, on your team. I hope you do well. And that was the first time I ever met Delon. Dang. My heart. My heart. (laughs) (laughs) fluttered. Oh, my God. So, I will work on producing an indie film. um, (laughs) Yes. Find myself a husband that way. (laughs) (laughs) Michael B. Jordan, if you're listening to Keep It, I'm here. I'm waiting. (laughs) Uh, No, yeah, like Lewis said, you know, look, look, we could go through your credits all day like you've been into mm. so many things that like I feel were so integral to culture and like when I was in school growing up like Stomp the Yard you know and like you got served uh, even even that movie Debs uh, <laughs> you duh. are literally like a, a staple black actress like you are a staple black actress I, it's just think like a man even your character in that Friday you were a child you were just like you had one little scene in Friday yeah. that's what I remember seeing your face in <laughs> yeah yeah, been a journey. It is. What do you find people like when you are on the street and like people do recognize you? What do you find that it's for the most? Uh, roll bounce. <laughs> roll bounce. I think the one that people bring up the most, uh, you got served. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, definitely eats by you. Um, the stint I did on Californication. Mm-hmm. Um, now. It's a lot of think like a man and Shazam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a, a little bit of everything, but I think those are the ones that come up the most over the. And, oh, definitely cousin Skeeter. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, that reminds me of the uh, Judy Greer memoir called "I Don't Know What You Know Me From." But just, just it could be any number of things. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and people always say, "What do I?" Accept? I mean, so once in a while, someone would be like, "What do I know you from?" And I'm like. <laughs> this is my job. The 50 Cent 21 Questions music video. <laughs> what if that was the one? That, <laughs> you were in that, right? <laughs> Some people did, you know? It, it was weird because I was actually very intentional about that video. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. biggest artist on the planet right now. This is a national commercial. I, everyone yeah. thinks that I'm 16, but really I'm 21. How do I make that transition? Oh, wow. Oh, okay. This is what I'll do. And, you know, I knew there was a kiss scene and, you know, all that stuff. And I thought this will help shift people to see me as more of an adult. And it literally did just that. Okay. You're, I'm not. That's so cool. Yeah. Your Britney moment on the VMA stage, (laughs) you know. (laughs) (laughs) Never. Well, thank you so much for being here, Megan. Uh, we're re- we're really fans of uh, you in general. So, mm-hmm. uh, and I think people will really enjoy the film. So, make sure that you all see. Uh, if not now, when it is out Friday. Yes, yes, on all platforms. Yes, we love that. We love not having yeah. to leave the house. Bring it to me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that part. <laughs> Thank you so much, my guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group. 
where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Where is that Azealia Banks meme when you need it? Because the girls are fighting. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, the girls are fighting. (laughs) We are. I miss her. uh, I'm sure she's swinging a machete around, um, shooting her own version of Apocalypto somewhere. (laughs) I swear to God. That video, I want to like, I want to just project it on my ceiling so I can see it every day as motivation. <laughs> uh, but getting back to the gays or the faggots, as Azealia Banks would refer to them as, right? Correct. Uh, or Doja, or Doja Cat, or Doja Cat. <laughs> There's a little civil war breaking out on social media amongst gay men, mostly white. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess it is mostly white. <laughs> yeah. Um, last week, this homosexual devil and circuit party organizer, Jeffrey Sanker, tried his best to host a New Year's Eve bash on a boat off the coast of Puerto Vallarta, despite COVID restrictions and pleas from local authorities. He was found out when the Instagram account Gaze over COVID leaked his message to attendees in which he asked attendees not to post the address or any pictures or videos because he knew that what he was doing was fucked up and illegal, etc. <laughs> the party happened. Also, honey, yeah, you really know your fucking clientele. They won't post any pictures or videos of it. I've never heard anything dumber. Right? <laughs> uh, even people who respect the sanctity of the Broadway theater still will bootleg a thoroughly modern Millie, okay? That's how I saw that play in (laughs) high school (laughs) when I was nowhere near New York City. Basically, the party happened, but the boat that it was on capsized. Awesome. Uh, I do love some schadenfreude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And basically, gay Twitter drew battle lines, apparently. I've been hearing about this through text messages from friends or... My roommate, because as you know, I'm not on Twitter anymore. So, Lewis, what what's going on? Great question. Um, Enlighten me, King. I will say what people are obsessed with right now is whether or not, quote unquote, shaming, that is to say, reposting these people's public or sometimes just close friend Instagram posts where they're out partying in Puerto Vallarta, mask free. And not just Puerto Vallarta. There was like Brazil. There was other places out of the country. Uh, whether or not shaming actually, quote unquote, does like changes behavior, you know, whether it's like unfair to post this stuff. I will say this. I feel like the conversation around this is pretty small. Like, I don't care if these people are shamed or not. Mm-hmm. I will say what concerns me is like, OK, so I live in Southern California. Half the people on this mm-hmm. account are from Southern California. Yeah. I have known a bunch of the people featured on this. 
And oh wow, this account was valuable to me because guess what? If I run into them on the fucking street, I shouldn't be near them. If I like in my everyday life have to like exist near these people, I should know they've been spending all this fucking time. Like, there's a trainer I know who was on this, and it's like I shouldn't have to be around that guy. Mm-hmm. I will also say that over break, I don't know if either of you have ever gotten the phone call that your mom was exposed to somebody at her workplace who got COVID and was historically very lax about mask mandates. Uh, It is not fucking fun. Mm -mm. The reaction I had would be, I would describe it as a rage. And so if someone like that, who is flouting on social media, that they're running around mask free, definitely not paying attention to restrictions, definitely not paying attention to common sense. And then they are around somebody I care about. Yeah. I should fucking know about that ahead of time. So Mm -hmm. I actually am weirdly, a big defender of gays over COVID. I do think there's a neener neener quality to the vibe of gays over COVID that feels sometimes a little immature, but that's what I would point out. Listen, I'm definitely in that camp that you mentioned, Lewis. I think that we should definitely know people who are being reckless. I mean, I think we've all seen someone that we um, had sex with show up on Gays Over COVID uh, (laughs) and been shot. Um, And also, my sister got COVID at work um, over the break, you know, and it was a hellish two weeks for her surviving it. And she's fine now. But, you know, it's like I don't have a problem with shaming people particularly when they're public about it. You know, um, there is the question about, you know, like, um, should you be sharing people's close friends, you know? Or like, um, I don't know, get a Finsta, you know? Right. Uh, I feel like a, lo- a large part of our argument, too, was always that, like, if you're going to do something risky or, like, reckless or even just hang out with your friends during a pandemic, the people who feel the need to post about it constantly is this sort of weird defiance and it's almost like they want to be dragged you know i don't see a world where like these people even are like all of the um hghg they're on uh (laughs) and whatever drugs like on this boat in puerto Vallarta, like not sitting there and thinking like oh we're gonna be dragged for this you know like like they know it and so they're they're flaunting it um, and that's why you get responses like um, someone offering $500 um, for the identity of gays over COVID, which is... What a paltry, what a paltry bounty. Not, <laughs> e- not even not even the original stimulus, okay? Right. Come Girl, on. Mitch McConnell gave me more than that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> My thing about gays over COVID has largely been that one... If you're going to refer to this as like the lady whistledown or a gossip girl for the gay community, how sad is that? Because (laughs) not a single aspect of gays over COVID is funny. Right. I think my main problem with it is that like if you're reposting memes of people calling you the new gossip girl and like really Mm. getting into the like um, notoriety like you're de moi. Another account I had to recently unfollow. Um, cult of personality, yeah. Yeah, a cult of, cult of personality thing. Be funny. Right. You know? Like, like there are no jokes. It's, it's definitely someone who feels very sanctimonious. Um, and yes, there are stakes here that allow you to have a bit of sanctimonious in you. But I say sanctimonious because the kind of person who would sit at home and sort of 
craft all of this stuff and like a web of like what everyone else has been doing, right? Is either a psycho like Monique Samuels from Real Housewives of Potomac or they are a white person with too much time on their hands. And there is nothing scarier to me than that than a white person with too much time on their hands. Because the post that got me actually upset with gays over COVID was a post from four days ago um, where they talked about a underground party being shut down in Los Angeles. Uh, And the post says, special thanks to the at LAPD HQ Mm. for shutting the underground party down so quickly. Special thanks to the (laughs) LAPD. And then you Add it and tag the LAPD. That is unwell. Yeah. That We've is turned a corner. Sick. Yeah. That is disgusting. Because I see so many people commenting on here too, or who have liked it, who spent the summer saying all cops are bastards or uh, saying defund the police. And now all of a sudden, when you want to get a thrill out of watching some gay men have their party shut down, all of a sudden you're pro-police. And then I got responses from some people when I was like, are we simping for the police here? Like, is Jackie Lacey running this account now that she ain't DA anymore? People being like, oh, you're mad at the police for doing their job for once? And I'm like, that shows just a complete lack of understanding. And it shows that you didn't do the reading. Yeah. Because we literally spent the past year giving white people books to read uh like and they all kept taking photos of their angela davis shirts or like the um book that they would got our prison's obsolete you know everyone was reading that shit all summer and now to turn around and to tag the police i find it disgusting to be honest and the comments too from some people are just sort of like, we are anti-cop when cop kills people. COVID kills people, a lot of them. Tonight, cops stop people from allowing COVID to kill people. Not a fan of LAPD, but they seem to be enforcing things tonight. I'm like, where is, where is the nuance here? Where is the brain? Yeah, that's unfortunate. This is just what got it over on me because it is people who are excited about the cops raiding a gay party. And I'm like, one, if you look into the history of policing in the gay community, that's something that you don't want to celebrate. Right. Stonewall, for (laughs) instance. And two, yes, we're glad that they shut down the party because in the current society that we're in, that is a job for the police to do. You know, we don't have um, Batman (laughs) shutting down parties. But to tag and celebrate them just feels sort of oh it's pathetic gross it's pathetic you know and it and it makes me think that you are the kind of person who would then call the lapd on a non-white person when you're feeling mildly inconvenient a person who tags the police and thanks them is a person who definitely has 911 on speed dial that's an op (laughs) you're an op op you're an op okay (laughs) i also want to point out the amount of people who've said that gays quote-unquote policing each other is unfair. Guys, you realize that if straight men policed each other's behavior, there wouldn't be a pandemic, right? Like, <laughs> we, we could all There'd be, be a lot of things yeah. that wouldn't yeah. exist. Um, we Vigilance should be policing each other. Yeah. Yes. I could walk the streets, yeah. not scared. <laughs> Dr. Fauci would be jobless. 
I definitely disagree with the people who say that like this is gay on gay crime. You know, like we should be policing each other. Why we does should that exist? Ca- Why does that phrase even right? exist? We should care about what's going on in our community, and I don't care if it reads as homophobia to like straight people. Um, when we're shaving shirtless gay men uh, running around on a boat, maskless in another country, another country by the way, which does not have the resources that America has. So you're not only risking the lives of the people you're going to return to. Like, what if you get sick and interact with, like, people who are native to where you're traveling? You know? Like, you're a fucking colonizer. (laughs) Countries right now that don't actually have the means to deny tourism, like a country like Mexico, and the gay gay flight to Puerto Vallarta right now, there's this weird thing that's happening right now with COVID. It's international travel, where people think that because they're in a different city, the rules don't apply to them any fucking more. But in all reality, it is the whitest bull shit you could do is to go bring danger to another city yeah so my wish is that we keep policing each other maybe gays over covid um less juvenile about it be less juvenile about it hire someone to do joke punch-ups and <laughs> and stop bootlicking <laughs> okay bootlick at bootlick at tom of finland okay i like that fetish <laughs> But the, but the cops, we're not doing that in 2021. I will say, mm-hmm. just objectively, and I don't mean to sound like somebody who's in his late 90s as I say this, it is <laughs> shocking that you can just put together an account of people broadcasting themselves flouting rules. Doesn't it seem like maybe two people have done that, like would be dumb enough to do that? Yeah. But they are honestly overflowing with content. It is, I, I would call it funny, except it is so appallingly shitty, it is... ridiculous I don't like this is what's difficult for me to understand is distilling all the stupidity in one place makes me feel so hopeless about the world and people and the outcome of this pandemic like and this also comes on the heels of Apple giving us this new feature where we can actually see if you turn it on people around you that have been exposed to COVID so Mm. this is the culture that we're in right now where people are you know, they deserve to be aware it's not just Apple I'm not going to call out some people but there is (laughs) A lot of people should also realize that their phone just constantly tells people where you are. They forget. You know? So, like, if you share your location or, like, if you even log into a certain place, your friends might see that you have traveled to Puerto Vallarta and are at Circuit Party. And by the way, I'd I'd like to add that last year over New Year's, I went to Puerto Vallarta. The idea of repeating that performance again this year (laughs) is so gross and so just un- unthinkable. I mean, it's just... Lewis, Lewis, it's a gay mecca, so everyone has to take one pilgrimage. <laughs> like, you have to go one time. You went once, let other people go there That's one true. time. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Last year, I was in Paris. <laughs> oh, were you? I don't, I don't even know the purpose of when you say it sometimes, Ira. I'm just on board. So. Oh, je dois Paris. Oh, no. <laughs> I think that I feel pretty up to date on what's going on with with the homos. So, thank you, Lewis. Oh, I'm glad I could help. Yeah. <laughs> our gay correspondent. That was our gay correspondent, Lewis Vertel. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it is Keep It 
But before we get to keep it, I have questions oh. and I need answers. For whom? Lewis. Oh, it's me. What yeah. what is going on with Ken Jennings? I would love our to Jeopardy, know. Our Jeopardy, our gay correspondent <laughs> and our Jeopardy correspondent. So you need to elaborate. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm booked and busy today. Um, well, I mean, first of all, who is surprised that a you know white Twitter jockey who's been going since 2009 had bad tweets around the era of 2011? That seems to be the template at this point. You know. <laughs> He couldn't have learned from Jordan Firstman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the, every time a new person is revealed to have awful tweets from the past, I'm like, it's almost gays in Puerto Vallarta level. It's the flagrant idea that no one's going to ever dig up those tweets. It's like, you're famous now. You're on TV. People are going to look up shit that you wrote. I am horrified for the day people discover the old BuzzFeed post that I wrote. Right. You can't just delete (laughs) that. It will be me. Yeah, right. Yeah. I have them bookmarked. I have them bookmarked. I discovered a pro Shia LaBeouf BuzzFeed post of mine days ago. Oh, God. (laughs) That will haunt me for the rest of my life. It wasn't your fault. It wasn't your fault. These keep it clips that go on Snapchat are going to haunt us for the rest of our lives as well. I know. True enough. I know. So let's just all strap in. We're fine. Just the headlines, though. (laughs) I I guess I want to recommend people invest in a Twitter scrubbing program, which, by the way, they're plentiful. You can find them all over the place. But Mm -hmm. it is because we're about to get the first week of Ken Jennings hosted uh, Jeopardy episodes and it's just a week there's going to be a bunch of interim mm. hosts also the chase oh yes yeah, so we get the chase this week honestly this is a huge week for game show people we get the chase which was a British game show that came here it actually was here uh, about seven or eight years ago and I was a contestant on it at the time I won $38,000 um, but this version is like hyperinflation like people look like they're walking away with millions on this thing but Ken Brad Rutter and James Holtzauer who were the three mega Jeopardy celebs are the trivia experts the contestants have to be. Um, Should be a good show. I'm excited about it. Um, There's also a show with Craig Ferguson that is called The Hustler, which is like a mystery puzzle-solving game. It's something. It was on after The Bachelor, um, and it was a good cleansing of the palate after um, the first Black Bachelor made sure that he had several conversations where he talked about how stressed he was picking a Black woman to please Black people, a white person to please white people. I was like, just say you want a white girl and go, baby. Um, <laughs> so, so that's my feelings on the new season of The Bachelor. But The Hustler, it's sort of this mole show that's what that, I, that's like, what i thought i was so excited yeah, about there's that. people around uh, a table and they're answering trivia questions and then you sort of have to figure out who the hustler is uh it was fine okay well i i have yet to see it <laughs> that sounds like a complicated friend or foe do you guys remember that oh show? god did i love that show <laughs> I, I was a game show network troll so if i mention yeah. anything on gsn that is like really esoteric it's because i had no friends just bring back the mole though <laughs> abc yes i'm always ready to bring mm-hmm. back the mole by the way you know who's still a troll the host of friend or foe, Kennedy, who is a regular Fox News correspondent now. Sorry oh, to bring it up. Oh, that's mm. so foe. So foe. Right. <laughs> I voted well, foe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's get on to the actual keep it segment because I've realized mm. now I really don't care that much about Ken Jennings. And also, in trying to figure out what was going on, I found out that people on Twitter were talking about his 
podcast co-host, because that's where the drama initially came from, who was also tweeting about beans and can openers. And I most certainly do not want to know what any of that shit is. Wait, we should talk about that first. (laughs) We should talk about that first. Bean Dad? Bean Dad, John Roderick, who is Ken Jennings' podcast co-host, had this long chain of tweets about... Pompous asshole father. Yes, about how he (laughs) was training his daughter his young daughter to use a can opener and said he wouldn't help her until she saw the thing herself. And here's the thing. It probably wouldn't have come off as so offensive or child abuse as some people are alleging. If it weren't a fucking 500 tweet storm where he, I think essentially wanted to be congratulated for coming up with a novel way to get his daughter to learn something. It's just like, you're so you're bragging about basic parenting. Yeah. Yeah. He literally, yeah. Keeps his nine-year-old from eating for six hours yeah. until she understands how to fucking decipher. Like, I'm not a Boy Scout. I would have been like, Daddy, I'm not a Boy Scout. And you should have more things in the house than bean cans. <laughs> anyway. True. He, he was like, it's the only food in the house. Parent better. I would have been like, bye, bitch. I'm about to eat some of these Lucky Charms. That's easier to open. <laughs> um, a full psycho though because then I saw that apparently at one point he released a book with his tweets in it oh good that's what these men are this person like at one time had released a book with his actual tweets in it and sold it uh, anyway his Twitter's gone now because people also discovered that he had like anti-Semitic tweets <laughs> Mm-hmm. It has passed. Uh, and Ken, the one thing that I did see that was funny when Ken was jumping into it defending his podcast co-host, which, let me state for the record, I will never defend Lewis or Aida. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ever. I don't expect it. I will, le- I will let know, them burn. <laughs> and I won't deserve it. And I will never deserve your defense. Mm-mm. Yeah. You, you have no idea what I have planned. So, yeah. Good to divorce yourself ahead of time. But his response was, um, he can't be anti-Semitic. He's actually the one who's more pro-Israel on our podcast. I was like, the one who is more pro. (laughs) Go back to the go back to the trivia book, baby. (laughs) Yeah, I bet Levar Burton's Twitter page is squeaky clean, and that's the only thing that we need to really keep in mind. Yeah, right. How are you fumbling the Jeopardy hosting bag? Already. It, it does seem like this is the exact <laughs> wrong moment for this to be occurring. But anyway. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. Aida, yeah. what's your key? Okay, keep it. So my keep it this week is to Mitch McConnell making it to 2021. Agreed. Okay. We keep losing people. We just found out we lost MF Doom, who's one of my favorite rappers of all time. We just found out Tanya Roberts just died. For real. Mitch McConnell. Croak. Croak, Mitch McConnell. That's what you need to do. You need to go. And I, no one can get mad at me for wishing death on this man because he doesn't care about my health care. So why should I give a fuck about his health care? He's over here making sure that we get $600 stimulus checks instead of 2000 Like, this man is working what's left of his tooth and nail to <laughs> make sure that we don't make any money over this. And like, look, if truly what's left though, like remember what's when he was, tu- remember when his hands were turning wicker man. Right. Uh, and we could not figure out if he was dying or not. Go toward the light, Mitch, go toward it. I look right now, Mitch McConnell is blocking bills for, you know, $15 minimum wage, $2,000 stimulus checks. He's, you know, blocking bills for decriminalizing marijuana nationwide. And this year I'm trying to grow up. I'm trying to like go where the money reside. And I can't do that if Mitch McConnell is blocking (laughs) my blessings. He is blocking my blessings. So 
Until we are going where the money resides. <laughs> where the money resides, where the money resides. By the way, I believe in this case, asking someone to die actually counts as polite. <laughs> it's not like you're killing him. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, yes. I have an idea. I'd like to throw it out there. Please go ahead and do this. I'm going to tack on a please. Yeah. Please. I beg. I beg. Go to the light. Can gays over COVID tackle Mitch McConnell? Yeah. <laughs> or can we get can we get like a Capitol Hill lady whistle down? Like what's what's the tea with this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like let's take down some people who are true monsters and have just gotten away with it for years. A video of Mitch McConnell on a yacht just in, in fucking capsizing. Oh, my God. <laughs> that just, that's what I want to see. I'm really hoping the same for these election results, obviously. Um, but mm. this weird thing has been happening, too. We're like, I was at the local CVS uh, buying some. Not the local. <laughs> my local CVS <laughs> buying some liquor. Uh, and I was talking to the clerk. Uh, well, mostly she was talking to me. Because uh, I don't like talking to people in the wild um, <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> she, she's very chatty. Uh, Gaze over CBS. Gaze over CBS. Very chatty. The mask was not covering her nose. But anyway, she was going on about how, like, we need these stimulus checks. And, you know, and it's like, they're trying to get Mitch McConnell out of here. And, you know, Pelosi, too. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot going on here. But <laughs> I think that something has finally changed in the general lexicon where people know who Mitch McConnell is and they don't like it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, for so long, he's been able to do what he does in the Senate and like we're sort of focused on Trump or like other shitty Republicans like Ted Cruz, um, who... <laughs> Uh, is being just as awful as he usually is right now. But it wasn't until recently where I feel like the regular person on the street knows who Mitch McConnell is, and they loathe him. So I feel like he's finally getting that notoriety that he's deserved for years. I hope this intuitive feeling is correct. I will just add about Mitch McConnell that he really is one of the few people who truly looks like a Guess Who character. He Like the exaggerated <laughs> features. He looks, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, like Paul from Guess Who. Everybody else can check my work, but I think I'm right about this. <laughs> More like Corpse Who. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, Lewis, Lewis. Mm-hmm. And your keep it. Yes. Uh, and your keep it is. So my keep it this week goes to a general feeling. You know I love a vague philosophical keep it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kierkegaard. Yeah, here it comes. <laughs> I was like, why is it such a news-free week? And I realized this is the week we usually have the Golden Globes. Like, we usually get to come back from break and talk about, mm. did Jacqueline Bissett seem drunk to you? And I <laughs> want to say how desperately I miss it. So keep it to the delayed uh, awards season because my god is January a dead zone for entertainment news outside of the fact that we got you know Soul and Wonder Woman and people are still talking about The Flight Attendant a show that I kind of couldn't get into um, but the Golden Globes in general really are a trove of wonderful and unfortunately forgettable moments I really recommend going on uh, YouTube and looking up old Golden Globe speeches, they are almost always more unhinged than you remember because the vibe in the room is so, I'll say diplomatically lively, but really alcohol is flowing and people who normally have it together really sound like they shouldn't be speaking at all. 
like they're all high on Ricky Gervais's wild jokes or whatever's occurring. <laughs> and so I just like pick any celebrity you like, and I'm telling you, they gave a speech that was fucking weird at the Golden Globes. The Hollywood Foreign Press are the last people in possession of barbiturates. So <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably the best part of the 70s. I do support this. It is rather weird that this is the first Keep It in January, and it is the first time that we're not talking about the Globes. It feels unfortunate. This is what I do. I didn't even note the absence of information or the absence of the Golden Globes. Well, because honestly, I... I don't prefer this award show out of all of them. I don't think I think that's I speak for everyone when I say that. But um, what what do you know what happened, Lewis? Why you don't why know is, the globes, Aida? That this? is where people like Girl. Aaron Taylor Johnson Girl. can get accolades. No, <laughs> we're the best. We're the best actress of the year is Anna Paquin in True Blood. Lots of mysterious choices. <laughs> um, well, it's the American Music Awards of. TV and movie awards in that. Oh, you're speaking my language. You're speaking my Mm -hmm. language. (laughs) It's a memorable looking award, but it doesn't need to exist because we have the award shows with integrity that follow it. So Mm -hmm. that said, the Grammys suck now. So maybe I should just prefer the American Music Mm -hmm. Awards. (laughs) Ira, what's your keep it? (laughs) My keep it this week goes to Beats by Dre. Uh-oh. And... Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And the commercial that they shot with Flo Millie, a rapper I love. Like, I fucking love Flo Millie. And um, it's so sad uh, when you see Flo Millie is trending. And then you're like, oh, she just dropped a new song? No, people just rediscovered this ad where she is wearing Beats by Dre headphones and, like, approaches a Confederate uh, statue laughs, and then does a dance to her song, May I Playing. And then the ad ends with the slogan, flex your clap back. (laughs) What (laughs) the fuck? What what, what, What? what is going on here? What? Whatever happened to advertising whatever happened to not the phrase flex your clap back what on fucking <laughs> earth is that it's nonsensical it sounds like a random word generator like a gen z random word generator that duke university intern threw together and they're also by the way like kind of three years out of date both ways like flex and clap back yes, so like what? putting them together is like doubly desperate your soul <laughs> I, I, am tr- I am trying to think of the white people coming up with flex your clap back and someone was so fucking proud of themselves what about fleek your snatch back or <laughs> like what your uh we'll get flow millie look i i get your little keep it what but, about you know, yeet beats? your uchi wallet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what it makes sense just put it in there it's provocative but you know who i heard really liked it jefferson davis oh my god <laughs> Honestly, Flo Millie, get that bag, sis. Whatever they ask, get that little bag. My favorite part about this actually was all the comments on it were, um, who forced Flo Millie to do this? (laughs) Where they're like, we're not mad at her for getting the check. No. That girl is 20. When they filmed that, she's probably 19, and she had just started popping off. Like, there is no way that her reps and, you know, herself wasn't just like, yeah, let me sign that contract and leave. Yeah. She probably hasn't even seen the commercial. That is really baffling. I'm really surprised by right? that. Right? <laughs> That's our show. We kicked off season 
four of Keep It. Oh, really? In fashion. This is this is like this is the fourth year, baby. We are literally like a soap. Four seasons, two hundred and seventy-five <laughs> episodes. And and season four, you know, is when when shit gets like crazy. You know, there's like oh yeah, will I choose Aiden? Yeah, yeah. There's random storylines <laughs> that don't go anywhere. There's crazy guest mm-hmm. stars. So you know, um, someone gets kidnapped for a few weeks. So I am really looking forward to. Um, we should do some season gags. four of Keep This year it. should be the year of gags. Oh, there will really be gags. There, there will be gags. Be. <laughs> probably, probably just stupidity, but yeah. yeah <laughs> uh, great episode, though. We didn't even get to talk about Kumail's little photo, which is fine. He'll be buff next week. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, yeah. He'll, he'll be buff taking a photo, eating cake, like he's been doing on Instagram <laughs> all quarantine. I, Kumail, I, I don't. I don't believe you eat the cake, and that's all I have to say. Yeah. Eat, eat the cake, anime. I don't believe it. I believe once it's over, Emily is like, "You gonna make me eat this cake again?" <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I just I want to watch you enjoy it since I can't." Every time I eat it, the real big sick is how much cake I have to consume. Anyway, that's enough. All right. Thank you to Megan Good for joining us, and we will see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Caroline Reston, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Our executive producer is Ira Madison III. I think I've heard of him. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroote, Narmel Konian, and Milo Kim for production support every week. Stay safe. Be blessed. God loves you. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com.